0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, God's Rescue Plan, with a message titled, The Hardened Heart. So let's turn in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 10, verses 1 to 20, as we join Dr. Newfeld now.
1: I wonder as you think about it, what are the buttons in your life? You know what I mean? You know, sometimes we say, that person really knows how to push my buttons. Well, the buttons we talk about are the kinds of things that make us angry or the things that cause us to react with passion and get us talking loudly and quickly and say things that we might be sorry about later. That's what we call pushing our buttons. Notice that when we talk about these volatile reactions, we talk as if there are a series of buttons that trigger those reactions. You know, maybe it's, you know, your kid's leaving the toys strewn all over your house, or maybe you're on the freeway, and whenever someone cuts you off in traffic, that's pushing your buttons. Maybe it's a certain political viewpoint, and whenever that gets expressed, it causes a reaction. In short, we talk about those external factors that trigger this common result. As we come to the eighth plague that God rained down onto Egypt and Pharaoh, We will end our text in Exodus 10 verse 20 with the sentence, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And so the reaction in Pharaoh is a hardened heart. That is, he doubles down. He becomes intransigent, inflexible, unyielding, and is about as stubborn and immovable as possible. No matter the damage that's being done by his attitude, he simply won't change. And what's the trigger or the button that creates that reaction? Answer, it's the Lord. The admission that God is God. And that all of his previous beliefs have been shown to be false, that he must bend the knee, that he must surrender, that he must take his place among the repentant, that just the thought of that brings about the worst conceivable reaction in that man. So far in our study of Exodus, we have traced Moses, the prophet of God, demanding that Pharaoh acknowledge that the Hebrew slaves that are in his land are not his people. They're the people of God. They belong to God. And Pharaoh's first response was condescending. Who is the Lord, he asks. And then as we've seen that through Moses, God brings plagues onto Egypt. And each plague grows in intensity. It's like a dull pain becoming acute and then severe. It's consuming. It's all you can think about. So let's begin with the eighth plague. God has by now already indicated that Pharaoh is going to unwillingly bring glory to God. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants that I may show these signs of mine among them and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson, how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them that you may know that I am the Lord. This now is the third cycle of plagues and it follows what should now be a familiar pattern. As this is the second plague in the third cycle, Moses approaches Pharaoh at the royal residence in his royal court. But this time, since we're coming to the end of the plagues, we begin to notice features that have not been said before. Even before Moses approaches Pharaoh, God reminds Moses that Pharaoh has hardened his heart. He won't respond to the increasing intensity of the demands. But God is determined to glorify himself in Pharaoh's rebellion. And this time, Moses is told another reason for Pharaoh's hard heart. In the future, children who haven't witnessed these events are going to have to be taught about them. And in the book of Deuteronomy, which, you know, is Moses' sermon to his people, he's now old and he says, Deuteronomy 4 verse 9, only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and to your children's children. Or Deuteronomy 11:19, you shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house, when you're walking by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. See, the important thing to remember is that the plagues on Egypt and the exodus from the land, those events will never get repeated. They're events, however, that must never be forgotten, lest a future generation that didn't go through these things forget. And if they forget, They will not know who God is and what salvation means. See, that command should be heard in our lives. Parents, do be careful. Go over the life of Jesus with your children. Grandparents, do the same. Are you explaining how he demonstrated his lordship over illness and over demons, over death itself? Do you explain his crucifixion, his resurrection, and the promise that the Father will reconcile us to himself in his Son? For if you don't tell your children and explain it and answer their questions about these events, they'll fall for the lie of our culture that tells us, yeah, it's just a part of people's religious beliefs. We must teach. You know, what Exodus teaches us is also in Psalm 115, 1 to 3. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness, why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Yeah, God is God. He does what he pleases. No one can stay his hand. Do you tell your children that? They must understand the words of Psalm 96, verse 5. For the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord has made the heavens. And so Moses is told that what they are witnessing must be written down and become the basis for their teaching of every generation. He's told he lives in historic times. God is doing something unique. Now we get to the announcement of the eighth plague, Exodus 10, 3 to 6. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I'll bring locusts into your country and they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land. And they shall eat what is left to you after the hail. And they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field. And they shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and of all the Egyptians, as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on earth to this day then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. You know, it might not be evident to someone reading it today how deeply ancient peoples feared a plague of locusts. You know, even in today's world, locust plagues are absolutely devastating. It's the desert locust, which is, you know, the kind of locust that would have swept into Egypt, and it's called by many experts among the most dangerous migratory pest in the world. They can become so dense that one square kilometer is going to contain as many as 80 million locusts. And in the right conditions, they multiply 20-fold in a period of three months. They're so thick, one can't see through them. And what's more, a swarm of 80 million locusts, will they consume the food equivalent of what about 35,000 people eat in a day. And in their wake, they leave starvation and famine. And we can therefore see why, you know, in the book of Joel, Joel the prophet calls a locust plague like the day of the Lord, a day of vengeance and destruction. Notice what Moses tells Pharaoh, just like the plague of hail, this one will be the largest locust plague that Egypt has ever seen. Anyone hearing that would be paralyzed with fear. And notice then how Moses begins his discussion with Pharaoh. Thus says the Lord God, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? So here's a word to the king. It's a word to us. If we relish arrogance and pride and a belief in our own importance and we convince ourselves that we're greater than God, God will humble us. That's the choice. Humble yourself or wait for God to do it for you. No one should wait for the latter. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. God hates pride. And with that, Moses leaves Pharaoh's presence. This is the first and only time Moses just turns around and doesn't wait for a response. He's indicating that God has run out of patience. Now, verses 7 to 11. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not understand that Egypt is ruined? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. And he said to them, Go, serve the Lord your God. But which ones are to go? And Moses said, We will go with your young and our old. We will go with our sons and daughters and with our flocks and herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. But he said to them, The Lord be with you, if ever I let you and your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No, go the men among you and serve the Lord, for that is what you are asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. You know, for the first time, Pharaoh's officials are blunt and challenge his authority. You would have expected them to be deferential to the king, but the time for niceties is long past. These men are now ready to risk everything to get Pharaoh to understand the issue. Don't you realize, they say, that Moses is a snare to us. They mean he's entrapping us. Indeed, he's enslaving us to his God. That's so ironic. The only slaves we've encountered in the book of Exodus up to this point are the Hebrews. But now when the great God judges Egypt, the tables are turned. The first have become the last, the last have become first. And if they continue to resist Moses and his God, this is the trap. They can't go on resisting.
0: Do you have any young children in your life, perhaps of your own or a grandchild? If so, Be sure to check out Back to the Bible Kids, our mobile Bible teaching games for children. Choose from these games, Bible ABCs, Bible coloring, or Noah's Elephant in the Room. Every game helps kids learn more about the characters of the Bible, learn scripture and biblical truths, enjoy educational activities, all in a safe and fun environment, trace color, and chase Noah around the ark, all while being introduced to Bible stories and characters. It's so important that the children of God are given the opportunity to become familiar with the Bible from a young age. And we hope that the Back to the Bible Kids mobile games do just that. To download any of our Back to the Bible Kids games for free, visit backtothebible.ca slash kids. One of the
1: pleas that Pharaoh's advisors make to him is that he opened his eyes. Instead of seeing this as a fight with Moses, look beyond yourself. Realize that Egypt is in ruins. The death of livestock, the hail. They've reduced Egypt to economic desperation. The land's in ruins, they say. Get your head up. Look around. See what's happening. You can't just live in isolation in your palace and surround yourself by the opulence that you have and not see the massive suffering that Egypt is presently experiencing. You can't close your heart from the suffering of the country that you're called to lead. But the advisors aren't stupid. I mean, they recognize that Pharaoh in some place needs a win. He can't just completely capitulate. His arrogance won't allow him to admit defeat. He needs to appear to be a strong man. And so they suggest a way forward. Let the men go, they say. In that way, we're gonna hold back their wives and children, And the love they have for their families is going to force them to come home. You'll still look to be a strong man, they say. These people did force you to allow them to go into the desert to worship, but you had the ace, you know, the card that gave you a winning hand. You forced them back. And Pharaoh grabs a hold of this instantly. It is in his mind the compromise he can make with God. It allows him to keep his pride and his confidence in himself. He won't have to give up everything. He can be the man he always was. You know, Pharaoh's not the only human being in history to have had such an attitude. You know, it's the attitude that some take to their conversion. You know, I can admit that God is God, but I don't have to surrender everything to God. You know, I can be a Christian, and my sexual ethics, they can remain unchanged. I can be a Christian, and my attitude towards my money and my power can be what it always has been in the past. That kind of a thing. The exterior says, I will give God his due, but the interior heart attitude remains as hard to him as ever. And so although Moses and Aaron have turned their back on Pharaoh and walked out, he now calls them back. You know, go, he says, look, you win, but you have to come clean with me, who's going to go? You know, I mean, Just asking that means that he now assumes it's not going to be total capitulation. There's still a bargaining strength that he has. He's going to sit with Moses and Aaron and together they're going to work out the details. Ha! Moses and Aaron are having none of that. Their words are not negotiating words. We will go, they say. And behind that is the meaning that they will go regardless of what Pharaoh says. They will go. Oh, how rebels hate those words. God will have his way. All the rebellion, all the bargaining, that is of no avail whatsoever. We will go. And then Moses makes it plain. The old will be leaving Egypt and so will the young so will our sons, so will our daughters. We're also going with every last sheep and goat in our flocks and herds. We're gonna walk out of Egypt. Nothing that we own is gonna be left behind in the land. That's not negotiating. And saying matters that way, you know, it has an intended outcome. It's not just that Moses is making, you know, the Exodus very clear to Pharaoh. That is, we're going, we aren't coming back. There's more to it than that. Moses expresses himself as he does, knowing full well that when he says it that way, he's going to be pushing all of Pharaoh's buttons. That is to say, you know, it's no mystery to anyone, not to Moses, not to Aaron, not to Pharaoh's advisors, and certainly not to God. How Pharaoh is going to react when Moses and Aaron speak this way. He will, as we like to say in our own contemporary slang, he's going to go ballistic. He's going to react very badly. He's going to be enraged. His face is going to become red. The veins will be popping out in his neck. He's going to lose his temper. Look at his response. The first words of verse 10, they're curious. The Lord be with you if ever I let your little ones go. He's saying, well, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews is with you and has given you absolute victory over me if I let your children out of this country. That's not going to happen. You know, Pharaoh believes he can resist God. And then he adds, Moses, the only reason you're asking this is because you have evil in your mind. He means the only reason you're asking this is because you intend to permanently take these slaves from the land. No, no, he says, if the men go, that's going to be enough. Of course, Pharaoh could not have known that Israel's God demands that both men and women together come before him and worship. Worship is not the domain of men only. And with that, our text says that Moses and Aaron are driven from Pharaoh's presence. No doubt, the guards now intervene. They shuffle Moses and Aaron out. Pharaoh is still yelling in the background. All of his buttons have been pushed. He's acting irrationally. Verse 12, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, all that the hail has left. So the staff is in Moses' hand as he stretches it out. It's a symbolic act. It's done in such a way as to leave, no doubt, this is a supernatural act. This is a divine act. The locusts are coming. Each one is sent by God. Verses 13 to 15. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled in the whole country of Egypt, such a dense swarm of locusts as had never been before nor ever will be again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened, and they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field, through all the land of Egypt. So it's clear in reading this text that the locusts arrived, I guess, in a different fashion than the frogs, the gnats, and the flies. There, it seems, that God simply multiplied them on the spot. But these locusts, we're told, were hatched in another place. And we have to assume that the conditions for their multiplication, that was ideal. Now, the text says the Lord brought a wind from the east, from the desert. It blows all day, and by morning, the locusts are there. See, God, when he acts, can perform a miracle, or he can, in his regular ordering of nature, do his will. Whether by his providential control over all things, or by acting unusually, you know, what we call a miracle, God always is acting. I mean, Jonathan Edwards, speaking of death, said that God has numerous means of bringing about the death of rebels. And he doesn't have to rely on a miracle to take us out of this world and into the next. He's got a lot of tools in his tool bag. And in this case, the plague of locusts, you know, God doesn't miraculously produce locusts. Rather, he orders the regular cycles of nature so that it will perform his will. And in this case, this is the largest locust plague that Israel has ever witnessed. And it's devastating. Verses 16 and 17. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. Now, the New International Version has Pharaoh saying, forgive my sins once more. But the ESV is right. Pharaoh's not now admitting he's ever sinned in the past or that he wants past sins forgiven. Rather, he's saying, forgive me this one time. He's not acknowledging any past wrongdoing, only this one. See, his heart is hard. He's saying, I will not admit to wrong in the past. But now that the locusts have come and he knows that death has settled on the land, he says, forgive me so death might pass. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. It's almost as if Pharaoh understands that. But his repentance isn't sincere. He doesn't want to be reconciled with God. He just doesn't want to die. And that attitude's not unusual. There are many people who come to Christ because they're afraid of the judgment to come. And by the way, that's the reason I came to Christ. I was afraid of the judgment. And then to my surprise, what followed was that I wanted reconciliation with God. And I wanted the joy of being Christ's slave. That surprised me. But Pharaoh wasn't surprised the way I was. See verses 18 to 20. So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord. And the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go. You know, again, we're reminded that nothing in nature can occur unless the Lord orders it. And order it, he did. The east wind became a west wind, and in short order, the locusts are gone. The devastation, however, remains. And Pharaoh... God hardened his heart. God had pushed all of his buttons and had shown Pharaoh that he controlled nothing. You know, as as Jesus told Pilate years later, you would have no authority over me if it had not been granted to you from above. God gives authority and he removes it at his will. That's how Pharaoh now occupies his throne. How important it is for all of us to remember this. And what must we do lest, tragically, Pharaoh's story should become our story. Is it not this, that we pray to God sincerely, not only take this death from me, but change my heart, O God. You know, it's hard. I plead, make my heart soft, lest I resist your will and I die in my sins. Rather than dying in my sins, make me a pliable child of God who rejoices in the word of God and who finds joy in Christ my Savior. May that be our prayer. And may our outcome be so different
0: from that pharaoh years ago. Thanks for your message, John. You know, I'm wondering this: is it possible to come to God, but our hearts are not changed? You know, this
1: is what the Scripture talks about over and over again. That, you know, there are there's everything from you know read about it in the Bible from false conversions um, to uh, individuals who you know get so close and just never finally bend the knee um so that you know the second state of that person is worse than the first um you know there is something about coming near to god that demands a full surrender that we just just lay everything before the throne of, of the one who made us and who redeemed us and simply say, Lord, Your Lord, I'm not. Take my life, may it be whatever you can. And then after that, like living sacrifices, you know, as somebody said, we don't crawl off the altar, but we continue to lay there as a sacrifice before God saying, my life is yours. So, you know, I, that's what we need to say. So please don't let anything but anything
0: uh, take you away from that full surrender. Thanks, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, God's Rescue Plan, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Every year, Back to the Bible Canada releases an annual Scripture reading calendar. This is our most requested Bible resource. Well, the time has come to request your 2023 scripture calendar today with the theme, Freedom in Christ. Each month contains beautiful, thoughtfully selected images, inspirational Bible verses, encouraging quotes from Dr. John Newfeld, and a Bible reading plan that will help you read through the entire Bible in one year. We pray this calendar will inspire, keep you in the word every day, and remind you of just how blessed we are to live freely in Christ. So for the month of October, request your copy of Freedom in Christ. But hurry, quantities are limited. To request your free copy, just call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.